Church, if you could open up your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 10. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series, Long Live the King, where we are are working our way through, chapter by chapter, uh, the book of, of Revelation. Well, it was a rather typical dinner. Just a few nights ago, Tiff and I were sitting at the the table with our kids. If you know us, you know we have a lot of kids. It's a busy dinner table. We're enjoying the food. We're enjoying the conversation. And as kids do, they were asking questions of mom and dad. And as kids do, they were asking about the unintentional launch of nuclear weapons. Is it just us? It's just us. (laughs) But really, one of them was, was asking about these things and asked a rather smart question about it and said, so, so the president doesn't actually launch the weapons? Like, no, the, the troops or the sailors, they launch the weapons. How do they know it's the president telling them to do it? That's an important question. You don't want to have accidentally launched nuclear weapons or to have done so at the the false order of someone else this needs to be the president and and you need to know it's the president the the stakes are rather high in that and when the stakes are high you need certainty you need to know that that the orders are actually coming from the right place revelation is a powerful book I mean, what book takes us to the heights that Revelation does of anticipating the glory of being with the Lord face-to-face at at the wedding supper? What book takes us to the depths that this one does of warning the church of the persecution, the difficulties that we're going to face, warning the world of impending judgment that is coming? Revelation is a a high-stakes book stakes are high. So how do the troops in the field, the sailors at sea, if you were, how do we know that this is orders from the president? How do we know that this, particularly the book of Revelation, is is from the king and that we're to follow it when the stakes are high, when life is difficult, when persecution comes? When suffering abounds, how do we know that it's Him? And you might, you might say, well, well Ken, I, I believe the Bible is from God's Word. And I would say, amen, keep believing that, stand on that. But I will also say, that is easy to believe when the stakes are low. It's easy to believe when life is easy. It's easy to believe when there's not a lot of problems. It's easy to believe when it doesn't cost. But when the stakes are high, and your fingers on the launch nuclear weapons button, you need to know that it's the Lord Himself speaking through this book. And that's what Revelation chapter 10 is for. So follow along with me. I'm going to read through the chapter. It's a relatively short chapter. If you're just joining us, it is a typical chapter from Revelation in that it is full of pictures and symbolism. So we'll read it together and then unpack it together. 
Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun. His legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet called, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is opened in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Father, we pray right now that your spirit would attend your word that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see what you would reveal in this book of revealings, of revelation. You would transform us and make us more like Christ, fit to serve him through it. Amen. Amen. So the first thing, the first picture that we see is in the first three verses of the chapter. It's this angelic messenger. And this angelic messenger is is, is just awe-inspiring in the way that John describes him. First of all, it's not just an angel coming down. It is a mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud. Now, I'm going to reference a few other pieces of the Bible as we talk about this. Who is the one who comes upon the cloud? Is it not Daniel's son of man who comes riding on the cloud? This reminds us of Christ. Himself coming on the cloud. And then there's a, a rainbow over his head. And the last time we saw that was in chapter 4 of Revelation. The rainbow that is around the throne of God. His face, it says, is like the sun. Jesus' own face was said to be like the sun back in chapter 1 of this book. His legs are like pillars of fire. The risen Christ's legs were said to be like burnished bronze refined in the fire. Back in chapter 1 again. So to be clear, this angel is not the risen Christ himself. But, because it says he's a mighty angel. But he does bear such 
similarity to the risen Christ that it should cause us to pause and say, who is this? Who is this one descending from heaven? And, and what does he have to say? He comes down with a, a scroll in his hand. And he comes down and puts his right foot upon the sea. And his left foot upon the land. Now, as you picture this, don't picture somebody standing at the beach with a foot on the sand and a foot kind of half wet. That's not the picture. Think Statue of Liberty and then get bigger from there with one foot on the sea and one on the land. Whoever this is, they come down and, and po the posture is one of dominion over the planet, over the sea and over the land. This one has authority from God Himself. This, this angel radiates the glory of God and stands with the authority that only God could give upon this planet. Do you remember uh, Old Testament? Do you, do you remember when Moses went up the mountain and met with God and God gave him the law? And, and Moses asked this very amazing question of God and said, show me your glory. So God hides Moses in the cleft of this rock and passes before him and Moses sees the glory of God. Then Moses comes down the mountain and, and comes to tell everybody what he's seen. And everybody runs back from him because of the glory coming off of Moses' face. And they, they, they put a, a veil over him to protect them from having to see Moses because Moses had seen God. This angel stands in the presence of God day and night. When he leaves there, the, the glory that he has just been absorbing and absorbing radiates back. This is a divine messenger from the throne itself. Whatever this angel speaks, God has spoken. Whatever message this angel brings, God told him to deliver. If this angel were to command, we should obey. So what's the message? that this angel brings to John. Well, he's delivering a scroll to John. If you were here, you might remember back. If you weren't, that's okay. Let's just look back. This scroll we've seen before in the book of Revelation. We saw it for the first time in chapter 4 when, when we see God the Father upon the throne and everybody's worshiping all around him and in his right hand is a scroll. And the scroll is, is God's plan for humankind. His plan for the earth. It's His answer to the prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's that going to happen? It's not like that right now. This is not like the kingdom of heaven. Yet. So what's God's plan? Well, that's in the scroll. And it's sealed with seven seals in the very hand of God. That's chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, the, the risen Christ comes like a lamb who was slain and takes the scroll from the hand of His Father. And heaven worships and rejoices because one was found worthy. I almost just fell. Because one was found worthy. <laughs> Getting into it. One was found worthy to take the scroll from the hand of the Father. 
And then in chapter 6, we see Jesus opening seal after seal after seal after seal. And then we get to chapters 8 and 9, which we did last week. And at the, the last seal being opened, then there's trumpets begin to sound. And now here we are in this chapter. And finally, there's the scroll. And it's in the hand of the angel, and it says that it's open. Why is it open? Because Christ has opened the seals at this point. So now, now we're, we're finally getting back to this scroll. This one that was in the hand of God. And then in the hand of the Lamb. Is now in the hand of this mighty angel. And, and what's exciting is that this news, this plan of God, just made it to earth. Because the angel is descending to earth with this news. Not that it's been executed and accomplished, but the plan is now here. It's upon the, it's upon the planet. What, is, what, what do we know about this scroll? Well, the contents of the scroll are going to wait until a little bit later in the book of Revelation. But we can tell a few things about it in the rest of this chapter. And the first has to do with God's timing of answering these prayers. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The, 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 the second half of the first paragraph is, talks about timing. Look, look at verse 5 with me. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. That in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So, don't do this. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. Right? We're, we're familiar with this, right? But that's what the angel does. Right foot on the sea, left foot on the land, raises his right hand to heaven and swears by him, who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, swears by the Creator of heaven and of earth. This is one of the most solemn vows you could ever witness as this angel who knows what it is to stand in the presence of God Himself, swears by God Himself while standing upon the earth, this will happen. It's a solemn oath that the angel takes what is the oath what news does he bring what do we see and it's at the end of verse 6 that there would be no more delay it's a timing issue of the plans of god there's not going to be any more delay when will there be no more delay it says in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel the mystery of god will be fulfilled just as he announced. So, in the story so far, we had Christ holding that scroll, opening the seven seals. And if you were here for that, you remember those were seals of judgment. Partial judgment poured out upon the world. Not the full, final, end-day judgment of God, but partial judgment poured out. God does this to, to warn people, to call them to Himself to repent, to turn away from worshiping idols, to turn away from persecuting His church. And while those seals are being opened, 
we see this picture of martyrs in heaven calling out to God, how long, O Lord? How long are you going to allow this to continue? And he tells them to be patient and to wait because there's a delay. God is delaying as those seals. Why is God delaying? For the sake of mercy, God is delaying. At any moment, God could make his kingdom come and squash his enemies, but he delays for the sake of mercy. He delays for the sake of his elect that the next generation may yet come to him. And the next, and the next, and the next. He delays, and he delays, and he delays for the sake of his grace and for the sake of his mercy. This is great news for the world and hard news for the church who cries out, How long, O Lord? How long? How long will persecution continue to last? How long will martyrs be added to those that are at the altar of God. So we get through the seals, and then then the trumpets blow. If you were here last week, we got through six of the seven trumpet blasts. And they were all partial judgments again. God pouring out judgment, but in part, not in full, still like a trumpet, warning people, turn around, come to me, turn around. Don't persist in your sin. Delay after delay after. It's been a book of delays. And finally the angel says, enough. No more delay. When the seventh trumpet sounds, it's over. At that point, the plan of God will be fulfilled. No more partial judgments. No more warnings. No more appeals. No more time. No more delay. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. His judgment will fall. His enemies will perish. His people will rejoice. And the waiting will be over. And the praying will be done. And the rejoicing will begin. No more delay on that. This is good news for the church, friends. This is good news. The day is coming when all the delay stops. I just want to point out how helpful this is in our understanding of the book of Revelation. Because what we can see as a general pattern is before the seventh trumpet is describing an age of delay, of partial judgments that we live in right now. Right? So the, the seals being broken are describing our day and age. The trumpets being sounded are describing our time. The time that we live in, where the church is upon the earth, sealed by God, but persecuted by the world. Where people are given the opportunity to turn to Christ. Where they can see wars and plagues and problems and difficulties happening all over the place and should be reminded to think of their mortality. Though they often don't. And then the seventh trumpet will happen. And a new time period begins. Where in that time, there will be no more delay. And God will swiftly accomplish the end of all things. And so, if we live in the time of delay, and we do, in this place of vulnerability as the church, in the world that hates God, 
again, I'll say, the stakes are high for us. And we need to know that this is Him. And we need to know that we know that we know what He wants us to do. Well, now we get to the scroll. This scroll, down in verse 8, that was once in the hand of God, and no one could even take it. But then the Lamb stepped forward, and He was worthy, and He took the scroll. Then He delivered the scroll to the hand of this mighty angel, and now that scroll is to go into the hand of John himself. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, verse 8, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, told him to give me the little scroll. So far, so good. Makes sense. We have here our chain of custody. Do you see it? This is our chain of custody. How do we know this is from God? Well, from God to the Lamb, to the angel, to His apostle. This is, this is clearly of God. And then it gets confusing. It almost seems like, and now for a bit of humor in the book of Revelation, <laughs> take and eat it. Ah, what? Did you see that coming? <laughs> I mean, I've been really ready to see what's in this scroll. I didn't think John was going to eat the thing. Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. What's going on? Well, what's going on is John is reenacting something that happened back in the book of Ezekiel. This is the second time a prophet has eaten a scroll. Ezekiel chapter 3 says this. Ezekiel says, He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you. Fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So Ezekiel was told, eat the scroll, and then go speak to the house of Israel. Go prophesy. Go tell them what I told you. Now John is enacting the very same thing that Ezekiel had done before him. And in both cases, the meaning is the same. The prophet of God must, as it were, digest what God says and then re-speak what God has said. He must consume it. He must eat it. He must take it inside himself. And then he needs to speak what he's been told. A prophet of God does not deliver his own words. He delivers the word from God. That's what he delivers. So he must first hear and then speak. First consume and then share. First take in and then give out. That's what a prophet does. And that's what John is called to do here. And so John eats the scroll. And after that, he is told, you must prophesy. 
You must. Because the scroll's not just for you, John. You take it, you eat it, so that you can speak it. So that you can write it down. So that you can tell my people about it. The problem is that it is bittersweet. The scroll is bittersweet. It tastes good in John's mouth, but it gives him indigestion. Why? It is because of the contents of the scroll. The contents of the scroll reveal victory for God's people at the end of time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't that sweet? And it reveals suffering along the way and persecution and difficulty. How bitter. It reveals a powerful church strengthened by God and sealed with His name to go and be His witness in this world. How sweet it is to be a witness of the King. But it also reveals a vulnerable church physically endangered and weak. Bitter. We, church, we carry the message of salvation, which is the sweetest message ever told. Of life forever with God, even for sinners, because of the One who died on the cross for us. How sweet is that message? But for some that message which includes the reality of sin, the need for repentance, the coming judgment of God, the reality of hell. There's a bitterness. And some hear and harden their hearts even to the message of life. But despite this, the passage still ends with the command, you must again prophesy. There's a reason you ate the scroll, John. And that's so that you could share the scroll, John. You're not giving it to keep, but to share. Yes, it's bittersweet, but don't tamper with the recipe. Don't, don't adjust it just because there's some bitterness in it. Yours is to faithfully say what God has said. Yours, John, is to deliver the mail. God wrote the mail. You deliver the mail. John, don't tamper with the mail. Don't change the mail. Don't delete the mail. Don't hide, sit on, ignore the mail. Faithfully deliver the mail. And the whole thing. I can't erase the bitter parts and just deliver the sweet. That's not the mail. You've got to deliver the whole thing. Because the whole thing is written by God Himself. And so, dear friend, we can be sure that we have in Revelation chapter 10 validated, genuine, true nuclear launch orders. We've seen the, the chain of custody of these orders from the Father to the Son, to the angel, to the apostle, to our hands. That's stunning. What's revealed in this book was once concealed in the hand of the Father. And we hold it right here. 
These are orders from the king. It's a message from the king. It originates from the one who was on the throne, took by the Son of God because he was worthy because of his death. And so we have our orders. We have our orders. And we verify they come from headquarters. Praise the Lord. It's good to have clarity. The problem is they're bittersweet. We don't always like the verified orders that we get. They're verified. Great. But they're bittersweet. Sweet are the precious promises of God that He's given us. Praise Him. And bitter are some of the words of Christ that say, take up your cross and follow me. Everyone who desires to live godly and upright in this world will face persecution. Bittersweet are our orders from the king in this life. Take, for example, evangelism. We have, on one hand, the privilege of sharing the message of life with those around us who, who have no other hope, who will perish eternally without it. And we get to share the message of life, and yet, in the sharing, there can be a discomfort, there could be a concern, it can be uncomfortable, make us nervous, be difficult. Why? Because we know the message we're bringing them is a bittersweet message to them. We know the sweetness of it. Telling people of the love of God for humanity. Of the way to have eternal life with Him. Yes. But telling them that they're sinners. They must repent or face an eternity of separation from God in hell. There's bitterness woven into that sweet message. Church, our job is to deliver the mail. Our job is to deliver the message. Some of us are tempted to simply get the mail, throw it under the front seat of the car, and forget about it there. Friends, ours is not to forget the mail. Ours is to deliver the mail. He has given us a message to proclaim. You might not like the taste of it all the time, but we're not the, we're not the chef of this particular recipe. And we ought not pretend that we are. Deliver the mail. And friend, some of us will ignore it, and some will, will kind of deliver half the mail. Tell them all the sweet things about God. In my opinion, this is what you hear on most Christian radio this day, these days. It's, it's, all, it, it's, it's truth. It's just only the good stuff. It's the, it's the sweetness without the bitterness. It, it's, all the, it's all the good news, but friends, if there's no bad news, there's really no good news either. If there's no sin and hell and judgment and justice, then what's the cross for? Why did He suffer and die if it were not in our place for our sin? So, have you ever been up to the National Archives? you haven't, it is worth the trip. It's phenomenal. You get to see all kinds of great stuff about our country. 
I guess that's a good thing to reference on the 4th of July weekend. Yeah. So when, when you go up there and you see the Constitution, which is amazing to see, the Constitution. It's behind glass. But don't think to like get a pen. You're like, you know what? Don't like that piece. Scratch that out. I'm going to add this over here. I'm going to add a little over there. Let's, let's ignore these sections right here. How terrible would it be if someone went in and defamed that document that way? And I'll tell you what, that document did not originate in the right hand of God. This did. And we are called not to tamper with it. Not to erase the pieces we don't like. Not just to share the pieces that we do like. But to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us in full. We are a people under orders. That includes evangelism, but that includes our whole life. The orders are often to us bittersweet. And so we need to know really not just one thing, but two. The first that we need to know is, are these orders really from God? Do we have the chain of custody so that I'm going to actually push the launch button on this when the stakes are really high? And friend, I trust that you have seen these orders originate at no less place than the throne itself. But there's a second thing we need. And it's this. It's that we trust the one who's on the throne. That's what we need. Is God for you? Does the Father love you? Is He inclined to do good for His people? Is He truly wise and just and right? Friend, He is. He is all of those things. And did He not send His own beloved Son that we may never doubt His love again, having died in our place? Friend, the one on the throne is trustworthy. There's some of what He calls us to do that tastes bitter. And so let us trust Him and follow the orders that He gives us. Because we know they're from Him. And we know that He's good. And we know that He cares for us. And so friends, ours is to trust the one on the throne. And to let that trust look like following Him in this life. Doing the orders He's called us to do. Evangelizing as He calls us to do it. Until, until the day when the bitterness is gone. That's the sweet part of this, right? There's a day coming when he wipes, wipes away every tear, when he wipes away the bitterness, and there's only sweetness remaining. Lord, speed that day and help us be faithful to him until that day. Worship team, come on up. Church, let's stand. Oh, Father, we anticipate that good day. Would you help us even now to remember that good day, to rejoice in that day yet to come, that we would be freshly given hope 
and faith and courage to live today. Trusting you in the bittersweet days, knowing that, that the sweet days are yet to come. In your name, amen.